Hi, this is Darlene Love, and you're listening to Everything Fab Four on Salon.com. Welcome to Everything Fab Four, a podcast focused on fun and intelligent stories about the Beatles. I'm your host, Ken Womack, music culture columnist for Salon.com and a Beatles scholar and historian. No other band, or popular phenomenon for that matter, has enjoyed the global impact the Beatles have and continue to have more than 50 years later. They are part of our human fabric. They created music that continues to bring people together, and just about everyone has their own Beatles story to tell, some that are surprisingly deep and unexpected. This show seeks to draw those stories out in interesting and insightful ways. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everyone has a story. Paul went up to the cover and pointed at one little photo I had on the very top and said, Hey! Clarice, he put that photo on there, and it was Paul sitting on the toilet. And then George Martin came up, and they all came up really close to the cover, and they started looking at all the pictures. And then George Martin said, oh, you can't, you can't do that, you can't. Yeah, they have to take it off. Can you ex- uh, tra- exchange it for some other photo? I said, sure, you can. So then the ice was broken, and people started talking about it. Today's guest is Klaus Vormann, a German artist, musician, and record producer. Vormann was the bassist for Manfred Mann from 1966 to 1969 and performed as a session musician on a host of recordings, including You're So Vain by Carly Simon, Lou Reed's Transformer album, and on many recordings made by the former members of the Beatles. As a producer, Vormann worked with the band Trio on their worldwide hit Da Da Da. Vorman's association with the Beatles dates back to their time in Hamburg in the early 1960s. He later lived in the band's London flat with George Harrison and Ringo Starr after John Lennon and Paul McCartney moved out to live with their respective partners. Vorman designed the cover of their 1966 album, Revolver, for which he won a Grammy Award. Following the band's split, rumors circulated about the formation of a new group to be called The Ladders, consisting of Lennon, Harrison, Starr, and Vorman. While this band never came into being, all four would-be ladders, along with Billy Preston, performed on the star track I'm the Greatest, which was included on Ringo's chart-topping solo album. In addition to briefly being in the Plastic Ono band, he designed the artwork for the Beatles' anthology albums in the 1990s. In 2009, Vorman released his debut solo record, A Sideman's Journey, which featured the two surviving Beatles, McCartney and Starr, performing as Vorman and Friends. His latest work involves the composition of a graphic novel, Birth of an Icon, which tells the story behind the creation of the Revolver cover art. Welcome, Klaus Vorman. How many editions of Revolver have you seen come out during your lifetime? Oh, uh, <laughs> I can't tell you. It's so many. I still get people sending me records to sign. <laughs> yeah. Millions, millions, millions. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, before we talk about this new edition, I wonder if you could, uh, just for nostalgia's sake, if nothing else, say a quick few words about 
the first time you ever met these guys, you know, way back in 1960? Yeah. Yeah, because... Uh, <laughs> I was in Hamburg and I was never had any access to rock and roll music. I only heard a few tracks on the radio. So I went uh, to Hamburg in Hamburg to the Reeperbahn and I uh, listened to uh, music coming out of a basement, basement window. And I listened and it was uh, a band playing. And uh, I found out later that that actually was the Beatles playing. And I thought it sounded incredible. To me, it was fresh, it was new, it was nothing to do with classic music or nothing to do with jazz, it was just really raw rock and roll music, and I thought it was fantastic. Whatever I heard there through the window was incredible. So I went down into that club and met the boys for the first time. It's amazing that we're sitting here now, you know, low these many years later, and I'm sure people will be thinking and enjoying the Beatles for centuries, but it's amazing that that, that glint uh, that you experienced uh, on that day be- has become such an incredible phenomenon. Did you, I mean, it's, it's a silly question, but did you ever have any inkling that these, these boys would go far? Yes, definitely. I couldn't wait for them to get famous because it was really unique to have three people like John, George, and uh, Paul together, you know, that each one is so fantastic. George was just incredible. And th- those little songs, you see, they didn't write any Beatles songs or anything, they just covered those versions of songs they loved. And they did their best, you know, they really did fantastic. If it was Twist and Shout or Mr. Postman or, or Tutti Frutti or whatever it was, it was just incredible. And those voices were so fresh and so good. I mean, on the first records you could hear it, but not really, not really. It's, it's the, to hear them live in that sort of club atmosphere was just, just amazing, just amazing. There's that famous quotation from John Lennon about how when they left Liverpool and went to Hamburg, they were the best band in the world. And, and I assume you're, you're speaking to the fact that there was an energy there that probably very few people really ever got to hear other than yourself and, and of course, the lucky folks who saw them in 60, 61 and 62, right? Yes, that's true. You see, but what happened was, I mean, this is not the whole, um, uh, the whole, uh, um, uh, how do you say, the whole range of what the Beatles then were later. This was just a glimpse of it, you know. They didn't even have written a song yet. And yet there they were doing those those rock and roll songs in such an incredible way, so fresh, so easy. And they had fun, and they were funny people. And to witness that is just amazing, just amazing. I mean, as soon as the music changed, I mean, not their music changed. They, as soon as they started doing pop records, you know, like, uh, like Please Please Me was already going in a completely different direction. It was not, uh, not those simple songs I'm talking about. It was suddenly, this is what the Beatles actually was later, but the basis, the 
basis was that really simple rock and roll. You know, if it was Fats Domino or Chuck Berry or whatever you want to say, that was fantastic. That was what I witnessed, and what, that's what nobody has ever witnessed because it was gone and didn't record it. And even the tracks they did later on the records does not come anywhere close to the atmosphere on on the Kaiser Keller. That's wonderful. So how did they get from those early simple love songs and that good rock and roll you're describing, how did they get from there to Tomorrow Never Knows or A Day in the Life? That just still astounds me that these guys from a working class port city uh, can go from that place to this other artistic and, and literary horizon that so few ever touch. How does that happen? Well, in the first place, they got the chops and the knowledge of uh, how to play their instruments uh, when they doing those, uh, those uh, club dates in Hamburg. That really is the truth. That's where they really settled into this, this uh, sort of, yeah, I would say rock and roll feel. And later on, as soon as they started writing songs, they said, ah, we go a different direction. You know, let's go a little further. You see, it's difficult. As soon as you make a song more complicated, you are actually leaving the rock and roll field. You, you're suddenly going into something else. It's not really rock and roll anymore. It's not that raw rock and roll. And that's, that's the, to me, that's the key of why the band is so, so famous and so good, because it got this basic thing down through night after night playing, and then they have the knowledge of all those songs they interpreted. And if it was uh, the Fivelles or if it was uh, Smokey Robinson and, and, you know, all those things, they covered those songs so well. And then they went into doing their own thing, and that's, that's what made them famous. Can you tell me, uh, when did you first become a bass player? Because your bass playing, I have to tell you, has given me happiness the entirety of my life. Um, that, you know, I mean, talk about elevating a song, that lovely bass rumble you play at the beginning of You're So Vain. I smile every time I hear that record because I can see you in my mind's eye playing it. When did you be- begin your your work as a bass player? Uh, I played in a band. The first band was The Eyes, and then Paddy Claus and Gibson came out of that. And I always loved, uh, if it was uh, Sam Cooke or all those rock and roll songs I was talking about, for me, that was the same basis. And for me, this whole, then again, those first gigs I played in Germany with an English band uh, was playing those rock and roll songs. So for me, that was the basis uh, of my uh, feeling was the rock and roll. Plus, the knowledge of uh, classical music because I played a long time when I was a kid. I played a lot of classic piano and I was very much into classical music. So that, in combination with the rock and roll, made me to whatever I played on the bass. 
We'll be back with more from Klaus Vorman. We're back with Klaus Vorman on Everything Fab Four. You know, here we are in the wake of of the Get Back documentary, which I'm sure you've watched every inch of. Uh, no, I haven't seen it. Ah. <laughs> Um, well, I take that back then, <laughs> but, um, uh, you, you know, one of the beloved figures who a lot of folks are rediscovering is Mal Evans. Do you have any memories yeah. of Mal? Oh yes. Mal was a fantastic person. And, uh, I'm so shocked the way he, he got killed. You know, that was just so awful and so unnecessary. Such a beautiful man. Okay. He was, uh, he was in a he was in a problematic sort of state, but he would never kill anybody. Never, never, never. Not this man, you know. Yeah, I loved him to death. He, beautiful, beautiful. He was funny. He helped the band, and the band really appreciated his uh, his uh, attitudes toward them. He was just really, really the right person for the right job. Really, really good. It's true, isn't it, that a lot of great art fusions like the Beatles have folks um, who are close to them and and make so many things possible, like Mal, like Neil Aspinall, like yourself, right? Being in that world and talking about art and music. um, uh, No one does it alone, do they? No, it's interesting. You see, uh, Terry Doran is another person which I always, when I think of the band, creeps up. He was so great. He was so great with John. He went with us to Toronto. uh, And uh, they were funny. Mal and Terry Doran, those two together, really, they were such a laugh, you know. Or Tony King. I don't know if you know Tony King. Absolutely, yeah. I know. Yeah, Tony King and Terry Doran, those two together, they're just, that's just that same humor, that Liverpool type feeling. It's just, I love it. I love it. That's, a, that's the thing that really caught me. It was not only the band, the great the play, the great voices, it was that Liverpool attitude, the, the, the funny, the cheekiness. And, uh, it's, it's, it's great. Still, still today, if you are in Liverpool and you talk to those scouts, uh, you know, it's just incredible. Incredible bunch of people. Now, what, what is the old saying that if you, if you speak to somebody in Liverpool in 50 minutes, you'll know their life story and they'll know yours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not bad, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, and I it's think... Because they, they really let their pants down, you know. They, don't, they didn't... They, you know, in particular for German people, which they're always so reserved and they try to keep keep the, the image up. But those guys, they didn't, couldn't care less. They would just just talk about anything, you know. Just They, they didn't hold back. How did the opportunity to uh, make your magisterial cover for the Revolver album come up? What What circumstances brought that to that opportunity to you? Well, the opportunity came when John called me. And, uh, uh, you know my, my little graphic novel? I do, yes. It's in that book, I don't know, you, maybe if you don't have the book yet, it's called Birth of an Icon. Uh-huh. I did a comic, a sort of a graphic novel of the way that happened. For, you know, it started really with John making, calling me up. 
and saying if I had an idea. And uh, then they asked me to come down to the studio and I listened to the tracks. And then I really had this hard job, this new music, and you mentioned Tomorrow Never Knows on the record. <laughs> and you, you just think back, oh, what about those fans, those little girls that loved, love me too, or, the, you know, I want to hold your hand or whatever. What are they going to say when they hear Tomorrow Never Knows with backward symbols and sped up tapes and backward tapes? What are they going to say? And I was just there completely flawed and said, this is a big step because they always went a step forward. And each record, they did something new, invented something new. And now you had this big step, the big, big step. And then I said, oh, shit, what am I going to do for this car? And I mean, that's how I got to that job. That's the question you asked me. You know, and then I had to wreck my brains and... and uh, find out what I can do. And and what what spoke to you about having a kind of collage on the cover that would help keep that that core audience that the Beatles had and perhaps help them, you know, stay in the passenger seat as the Beatles drove this plane of rock and roll music into new places. Well, exactly like you said, it was really uh, to uh, cater for those fans. I had to have, I said, they have to have photos of the band. That's what they want. They want to see their faces. They want to see if they're laughing. And I said, oh, as funny as it's possible to, to show on a record cover. So I said, uh, lots of photos. And then, of course, the Beatles faces. And, of course, the hair, which was uh, just at the time, which today nobody can really imagine how sensational the, uh, this haircut actually was. You know, it was just completely crazy, you know. And it, it, it certainly does that job so wonderfully well. And uh, it, it, all of the, the sort of the miniatures that you put together via the collage, it, they almost have these little stories that are taking place around the cover, um, almost little vignettes. And they are mostly comic, <laughs> Yeah, um, that's what I wanted. I wanted, uh, you know, it was difficult because most of the photos are just normal photos. But I told them, come on, go home and look at all the photos you've got and send me any photo. And I I said, it doesn't matter what quality it is, just send them to me. And they said, oh, you can't do that. They're bad quality. You can't put them on the cover. I said, look, leave it to me. I'll show it to you. You've got the last say anyway. <laughs> so let me, let me have a go. So they actually went home and opened their little drawers and took out all the pictures and photos and sent them to me. And I picked the ones which I thought were funny and making a making uh, people laugh and make people think and and creep into the cover. That's, that's, that was the intention. <laughs> well, it works beautifully. Um, legend has it that there was a scene where you unveiled it with the Beatles and Brian Epstein and perhaps George Martin. Did that indeed yeah. happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was George Martin, Brian Epstein, and I don't know who else. If it was uh, Sir Dingsbomster, I don't know what he was called. If it was uh, Lou Grade or whatever, I have no <laughs> idea. 
there were some people around and I put that cover up and I was very nervous because nobody ever seen it before. It was black and white and it was just a drawing. It was not the, the big heads of the Beatle boys on the cover. So, so it was just my my invention. And I was scared that they might say, oh shit, no, we can't have that as a cover, you know. And just before, before uh, I put the thing up, they all were looking at Robert Whittaker's photos, and John said, "Hey, Klaus, your better, your cover better be good because otherwise we take a photo of these Bob Whittaker photos." <laughs> 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 even more nervous. You know, it was terrible. So, how did they react? Then, how did Brian and well, in the first, first place, they were very quiet. And I tried to portray that in my graphic novel that people can really realize that I really was yeah, shivering and I had that, that polar deck sweater on and I was sweating. <laughs> Shit, nobody's saying anything. So there's all stood in the back. And then Paul went up. They all were standing in sort of, in, in, uh, let's say, uh, 10 feet away from from the cover. And then Paul went up to the cover and pointed at one little photo I had on the very top and said, hey, Klaus, you put that photo on there. And it was Paul sitting on a toilet. <laughs> and then George Martin came up and they all came up really close to the cover and they started looking at all the pictures. And then George Martin said, oh, you, can't, you can't do that, you can't. Yeah, they have to take it off. Can you ex- uh, try, exchange it for some other photo? I said, sure, you can. So then the ice was broken and people started talking about it. And it was just uh, by the faces and the laughing and what happened, I knew they liked the cover and I was happy. Everything Fab Four is presented by Salon.com, the premier news, politics, innovation, and arts website. For more information, visit everythingfab4.com where you can learn more about our podcast, and my latest Beatles-related books, including John Lennon 1980s, The Last Days in the Life, and a forthcoming biography about beloved Beatles roadie, Mal Evans. The Everything Fab Four theme song, Seize the Day, is provided courtesy of Black Rabbit, the high-octane Beatles cover band and innovative psychedelic rock project from Rockaway Beach, Queens, in New York City. Like what you heard today on Everything Fab Four? Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, and recommend the show to your friends. Plus, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EF4 Podcast. Distributed by Salon, Everything Fab Four is a one-to-all production. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everyone has a story.